You're listening to the Second Corinthians Weakness and Strength Sermon Series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Right, I'm going to ask you a question. I hope you, you, you know the answer to this. Um, a couple weeks ago, I asked you to write some things down for me. This is this, I'm going to step out on faith now. Okay. I should write at least two questions and a statement from last week. Does anyone this morning remember anything that I asked you to write down um, two weeks ago? Dana, are you listening? Very good. Very good. Are you listening? Good. Bonnie? What are the signs of grace working in my life? That's awesome. You're really shocking me this morning. And here I thought you weren't listening and there were no signs of grace in your life. That's good. And there was one more. Yes, Eric. Your faith will cost you something. And I like what Eric did. He looked at his notes. And that's all right. That's why we take notes. It's a good idea. I can't tell you sometimes what I just preached on on Monday after Sunday. I'm going to ask you to do it again for me this morning. I'm going to ask you to jot down four thoughts, if you would, on your phone, on the bulletin, piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to jot these thoughts down, and, and hopefully as we work our way through the message this morning, they will become clear in our minds and our thoughts, and hopefully will help you in the future. And I'm really excited that I actually heard paper rustling, because some folks are just punks, right? And they're like, I'm not doing anything you say. I get that attitude. So I'm really appreciative this morning that you're actually working at it. Number one, here's the first thing I'd like you to write down, or at least try to remember. Opposition is a fact. Opposition is a fact. Talk about that this morning. Number two, we must be truth tellers. We must be truth tellers. Number three, our weapons are spiritual and mighty. Our weapons are spiritual and mighty. And number four, we must display love. And destroy lies. We must display love and destroy lies. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord, and we pray this morning that it's clear, it is powerful, and it hits us where we need to be hit this morning. I want to give you several things from the text that I think will line up with what I just asked you to write down. Number one, I want you to see in our text the warning. The warning. The warning is from Paul to the church, but I want to, you to see, and want me to see this morning, the warnings for us. He says in verse 1, I beg you. The word beg there means to to call near to one side. 
it's sort of a derivative of the same word we have for comforter. So Paul says, listen, I beg you, remember, he's got an issue with some folks in the church. He's coming to them as a church. Specifically, he will deal with a small group, but he says, starting off, I beg you, I call you near, I'm pleading with you, and I'm doing this in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul's first approach to the problems he faces with people is this. I am calling you to reconciliation. Believer, in our lives, our our goal, our, our first thought should always be, be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled. And so Paul calls them in the spirit and meekness and gentleness of Christ. He begs them to to be reconciled. But now notice verse 2. He says, but I beg you. He he says it again. This word's not the same word. It's a little different. This is a, um, a request to make a request. So he first said, I beg you, meekness, gentleness of Christ, be reconciled. But now he goes on to say, I beg you. He's making a statement now to say this. We talked about it last week. Don't make me come in there. The truth is, I want this to be resolved. It was a call to reconciliation. But if I have to, I am committed to wage warfare. I can be bold in your presence. It's not what he wants. It's not what he desires. But if it's necessary, it's exactly what he will do. He wants reconciliation, but he is ready for confrontation. Now, when I say that this morning, I want you to understand, I am not talking about literally making warfare and, and physical confrontation. We'll see that in our text. But, but here's the warning that I want us to see this morning. That in Paul's first begging, it was meekness, it was gentleness. And for some of us, we think that's it. But it's only part of it. And we've got to be careful. Oftentimes in our lives, we don't get the full picture So we say, yes, reconciliation, yes, gentleness and kindness. But what about this readiness for confrontation? And I want you to know something this morning. Those two thoughts are not diametrically opposed. They actually act in unison. And we get in trouble when we don't see the full picture. The full picture. Sometimes when it comes to Christianity, we take one of those things. Meekness, gentleness, grace, which are great things. But you can't separate them from the need at times to be confrontational in the right way. You must have both of them. right? It's not just, well, you're a spineless believer. That's not the idea there. There's the complete picture. We do it in Christianity. We do it in the church. We even do it with Christ. And it's a mistake. One of the problems with liberal Christianity today is this, that when they talk of Christ, they're correct in saying this, Jesus is love. He he certainly is love. He's the most loving man that ever walked on the planet. He loved the unlovely. He loved the outcast. He reached out to those who were marginalized or neglected. He touched the unclean. You know, in Bible days, if a leper was coming near you, they had to wear a bell, they had to make some signal unclean so that you'd go on the other side of the road. And yet, when Jesus comes in contact with a leper who's unclean, he says, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. The Bible says he moved with compassion. It didn't stop there. He touched the unclean and heals him. Jesus 
is love. Jesus is loving. His love is, is unbelievable. And they're right to say that. I think they're wrong when they talk about him being effeminate, you know, long-haired hippie running around throwing flowers all over the place. I don't think that was him. It wasn't him. But they're right to say he was love. But I want you to know something. That is an incomplete picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're in trouble if that's the only view we have. It is incomplete. Let me read for you this morning, Revelation chapter 19. And I want this to help us understand that the picture of gentleness and meekness with Christ is incomplete. Revelation 19, starting at verse number 11. This is the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, right? He sees a vision of Christ in the future, and he says this, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit upon them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that he had received, that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of burning, lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and the fowls were filled with their flesh. Can I tell you something? That scene that John sees is horrifying. And yet, that is the Christ that we worship today. Listen to me this morning. It is not enough to say to people, well, Jesus loves you, so trust him. Is that true? Yes, Jesus does love you. But understand this morning, Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's coming back someday not to be spit upon, not to be mocked, not to be jeered, not to be... Uh, uh, Set aside, he is coming to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and those who reject him will be rejected by him forever. And that's the truth. And this incomplete picture helps no one. It doesn't help the lost who play with their soul, 
because Jesus loves him? Who cares that he loves you? What does it matter that he loves you unless his death reconciles us back to God and saves us from the wrath to come? Then it matters. And so, there's a warning here. It's only part of the picture. Paul says, I'm coming in meekness like Christ. But I want you to know, I'm not afraid of confrontation. This is the full picture. We must understand there is a call to reconciliation, but there's a commitment to wage war if necessary. Number two, I want you to see the war. The war. Back in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. He goes on to talk about warfare as well in verse number 4. And so I want you to know, he says, okay, here's the warning. Have a complete picture. But I want you to know there is warfare. Now listen, for some folks right away this morning, when you talk about opposition or being at odds, it's like, I'm out. I'm out. I don't like conflict. I don't like being upset with anyone or anyone being upset with me. i just rather not. I am a lover and not a fighter. Right? I've said this before, but I like it so much, I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it again after this. But if you're bald in the front, you're a thinker. If you're bald in the back, you're a lover. If you're bald in the front and back, you just think you're a lover. Okay? That's how that goes. I'm looking around now. All right. I don't know how that... I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling you. That's what they say. But you say, I, no, I'm, I'm out of this. I'm not... Listen, here's the fact. The fact is there is opposition. It can be uncomfortable. It can be uh, conflictual. But I want you to know something this morning, my dear friend. There is a war that's raging. As we sit in our pews and our comfort this morning, there's a battle that's taking place. And just so that you know, the battle started the moment you were born. It's a battle of life and death. Listen to the writer of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 8, he says this, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Do you know what he's saying there? Exactly what he said. You and I have no power to retain our spirit. When the spirit goes, you die. I die. We all die. No one has the power to hold on to that thing. No one. He goes on to say this. Neither hath he power in the day of death. You can't stop it. I wish we could. I wish we could. You can't. And then he says this. There is no discharge in that war. I'm not getting out of it. You're not getting out of it. And if the Lord tarries his coming, listen, there's a battle of life and death, and here's the truth of it. We lose this one. That's why it's so important that our faith is real. That's why it's so important that we have hope that goes beyond a grave. That's why it's so important that Jesus physically, literally got up three days later telling us it's the same for those who believe in him. That's why this is so important. There's a battle raging, life and death, no discharge. You can't step out of it. You can, you can pretend all you want to. It is going to happen. It happens from the moment we're born. But i got to tell you something. 
For those of us who've experienced the second birth this morning, it becomes a little more intense because there's a battle that's raging spiritually. Ephesians 6.12, just you know this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It, It goes on and on and on. And for many of us this morning, we have no idea that right now as we sit here in our comfortable little churches, there is a spiritual battle raging for your soul, my soul, for our faith. There are forces out there today, right now, that want to destroy you, your life, your testimony, your family, your marriage, and your kids. Are you just fear-mongering? No, I'm not fear-mongering. I see it all the time. There's evil forces out there to destroy our lives. And we as believers are oblivious to the fact. We live our lives acting as if everything's okay. There's not a problem here. Listen, the worst place you could ever be is having an enemy you don't know you have. Because you're in real trouble. And Paul says, there is a war out there. Now, verse 4 tells us the weapons of our warfare, and they're odd. He says in verse number 4, um, I'm still in Ecclesiastes, that doesn't say the same thing. Verse number 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay? Our weapons are not carnal. It means they're not fleshly. Okay? So, when I, now listen, when I'm talking about warfare this morning, and I say it's not carnal, it means this. Our weapons are not this. Roger, I'm going to... Uh, 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 uh. Ooh, I'd like to, Roger. That's not what they are. It's, it's not that. They're not fleshly. And so when we think of battles, we're thinking, hey, I got my 12-gauge, I got my SKS, I got my tank, I got my stealth, I got... No, that's not... He's not talking about any of those things. Matter of fact, in Luke, I think it's chapter 18, he said, listen, Pilate, this kingdom's not my world. If it was, my, my children, my followers would fight. They don't do that. That's not the battle. So right now, get it out of your mind. Paul's not talking. He says, our weapons are not carnal in that way. He's not talking about that. Nor are they carnal in this way. Anger, wrath, hatred, manipulation, right? Passive aggressiveness, where we, where we use our words and we use what we say to sort of manipulate people to get to do what we want them to do. That's not our battle either. And listen, for parents this morning, be careful. For pastors this morning, we think, I can just say this and do this, and this will be what it is to, get, to manipulate them to do what I want them to do. Listen, that is not our battle either. Colossians says, put off these, anger, wrath, malice, and the list goes on. Understand this morning that our weapons are first and foremost spiritual. The song we sang this morning, our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, and with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. Do you understand the the, the beautiful imagery there? A sword destroys. If you get stuck with a sword, you're done. It doesn't heal, but... The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is a sword that divides, it cuts, it pierces, and it hurts. But it heals, and it brings life, and it is good. And that's what he's talking about here. He says our weapons are not carnal, they are spiritual. They're spiritual. Now, he doesn't give a list here of what the weapons are or what what it is, what he's talking about. 
But as believers, we know already, right? Ephesians chapter 6 goes on to tell us our weapons are, you know, the truth, the spirit, the word of God, prayer, a good testimony. But beyond all of that, I want to get to the, just what this is really all about. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians when Paul starts writing to these folks. And look what he says in verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Jump down to verse number 24. But to them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Chapter 2, just over the next page. Look at verse number 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so Paul says, listen, behind all of this, if you want to know what your spiritual weapons are, behind all of it, it must be the preaching of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his word and his spirit. Behind all of it, this is what we have this morning. This is the weapon that we have. And for far too long, too many of us have either not understood we're at battle or we have no idea what weapons we have. We've been operating in the flesh. Song this morning says, So Spirit come, put strength in every strive, give grace for every hurdle. And we must understand this morning that the battle we're engaged with, with the weapons we have, our weaponry is mighty through God. And the God of heaven is ready and willing to break in and to act. And we're going to see, pull down strongholds and change lives forever. So those are our weapons. Now here's the reason these are the weapons. And that they're spiritual. Because there's something happening behind the scene. Verse number five of our text. He says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth, it against, that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He says, listen, here's the problem. What we're battling are things we hardly ever see. Opinions arguments, thoughts, reasoning, false gospels, false teachers, false narratives. He says, listen, we got to change our mind on this. The, the people and things that we're battling, we're not seeing behind the big picture. There is reasoning. There are opinions that must come down. There's a battle this morning for the mind, your mind and my mind. And listen, we live in a volatile world, do we not? I mean, the events of the last two weeks are mind-boggling to me. Screaming, shouting, yelling, people hating. No one listens to anyone today. Nobody. Nobody. I read a story the other day um, about Ronald Reagan. This is going to show you my age, right? Does anybody remember what Ronald Reagan, who he was? Okay, thank you. Some of you old folks. All right. When Reagan was in office, he was a conservative Republican. I mean, he was conservative. And during that time... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the leader of the Senate, the House, was Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill was a, a staunch liberal politician, a Boston liberal. I mean, they were diametrically opposed. And uh, the truth is, Reagan and Tip O'Neill were great friends. Were great friends. Uh, the, their views were just diametrically opposed to one another. And one day, Reagan was we reading a newspaper. Now, do you know what a newspaper is, for some of you folks? A newspaper? 
it was a paper that came out, you read every day, and you sort of got news out of it, and, and people told you at least you thought the facts at the time. Yeah, we used to have something called newspapers. And in the newspaper, Tip O'Neill said something very evil or bad about Reagan, and it surprised Reagan. And he called him on the carpet and said, Tip, he said, I thought we were friends. What are you doing? And Tip O'Neill said, oh, Ron, we're friends. That's just politics. At 6 o'clock, we're buddies again. That's what he said. And so Reagan would start setting his clock for 6 o'clock when they were in meetings. They'd say, okay, Tip, it's 6 o'clock. But here were two men who, who disagreed with each other but had a friendship. I was listening to um, Rosaria Butterfield the other day. She's a lesbian professor who came to Christ. An amazing story. Amazing story. You know how she was one to Christ? She had two neighbors who loved her, who just loved her, who talked with her, who had her look at the Bible, who, who gave her some things to do. And here's what Rosaria Butterfield said. She said, remember, people are not positions. You understand that? There are people in all of our lives who have different positions. And some of them you think, I can't even fathom how you think that way. You are insane. But they're still people. They're still human beings. And Paul says, we got to look past the angry faces and the screaming and the yelling. There's something else going on. It's a battle for the mind. There are reasons, there are lies, there are thoughts in their heads that must come down. And the truth is, human endeavors and standards alone are not adequate, and the truth is they can be destructive. Paul says there's a battle for the mind. And this morning, I want you to know it's a spiritual battle, battle for the thoughts, the minds, and the hearts of people. Listen, every day we are bombarded with lies. Every day. Every day. You hear lies about gender, you hear lies about sexuality, you hear lies about happiness, we hear lies about materialism, we hear lies about every worth, value, lies. We're bombarded with them every day, time after time after time again. Social media, um, friends, schools, systems, lie after lie after lie. Externally, every day, we are hearing lies that plant themselves here. We hear them externally, but can I tell you something? They come from another source. They come internally. The other day I was walking home from work, which is a really long trek for me. I'm just glad the weather was nice. I was walking home, and it was casual day at the office, which for me is every day. And so um, I had my sweatpants on. I had a jacket on. I was carrying um, my briefcase, and I had something in my hand. I was just walking across the field like this, and I didn't think anything of it. Walked in the house. It was about dinner time. I walked in the house. David and Kim are crying. They're, they're laughing, crying. I said, what's so funny? They said, who are you having a conversation with out there? Who are you talking to? What do you mean? He said, you were having a full-blown conversation from that door to this door. I don't know who you were talking to, but you were really animated. Right? I talk to myself all the time. I need intelligent conversation. Right? <laughs> you do it. I, I, listen, some of you, you're in your car, you're singing away, you know how, but you're, there's this internal monologue happening all the time, all the time, and I'm telling you something this morning, this is a fact, the person who lies to you most is you. You and I lie to ourselves all the time. We lie about who we are, our worth, our value, 
what's really important in our lives? We are lying all the time. And Paul understands it. The Word of God understands it. This is where the battle is raging. It's not in this, the screaming and the yelling. The, ah! it's, it's in this, your heart and your mind. That's where the battle's raging. And when you lose it here, you've lost it everywhere. We used to have a boxing coach years ago. His name was Mike Letourneau. He's a really good guy. And he was always talking about boxers want to just do this haymaker and hit a guy in the head so that they knock them out. And he'd always say this, work on the body, work on the body, work on the body. Why? Because when the body falls, the head follows. Is that right, Jay? That's how, if your body falls, your head follows. It doesn't matter. That's how it works, right? Unless your head stays there, then you're dead, right? But if, you, if you, your body falls, your head follows. Can I tell you something in spiritual life? When your mind falls, your body follows. And so, believer in Christ, listen to me. I am concerned about the lies in the world that we hear, but I'm also concerned about the lies we tell ourselves. We're bombarded with them all the time. All the time. We must have truth. Because truth is the only thing that stands against lies. See, or Tozer said this, truth is a hard mistress. She never consults, bargains, or compromises. And we must have the truth. We must have the truth. Can I tell you something this morning? We must love ourselves and people enough to tell the truth. Some of you folks are like, well, I just love them so much. I, I would hate to tell them that that thought, that behavior, that action is wrong. Listen to me. You don't understand love then. Love does not allow someone to continue in a pattern or behavior or a lie. That will destroy them. We must tell truth. And when you and I as believers abandon God's plan, because he has one for all of us, for all of humanity, which is the only plan that brings about human flourishing... When we abandon that, we're in trouble because everything else is destructive. And those lies that are believed will destroy lives, hearts, and minds. And so Paul says, listen, the battle's raging today. It's not carnal. It's not fleshly. It's in here. It's in here. He paints a picture of this siege warfare. It's awesome. His opponents are holed up into a, in a city that's fortified. And they really believe that in this fortress that they've developed, they're impenetrable, impregnable. They, you can't get to them because their thoughts and their reasons are, are what they are. And Paul says, wait a minute. Our weapons are mighty through God. And our weapons pull those things. They take the walls and they pull them down. Every stronghold, everything that rises itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Now listen, this morning, here's what I want you to know. I'm not talking about just winning an argument today or debate. Too many of us, we're worried about keeping score. Oh, I got, man, that was a real, do we use the word zinger anymore, or burned, I burned them? Do we say that? We don't say that? We stopped saying that in the 80s? Okay. We used to say, boy, I burned him, or that was a zinger, or I really got him with that, and I won the debate, I won the argument. Yeah, to what end? Because you won? That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, bringing down these strongholds and all these arguments and bringing it into the obedience of Christ. The results here are completely different. It's not, eh, got that one, got it there, yeah, I, I really put them in flight. No, he's saying, wait, we're talking about the lives of men and women. Here's what D.A. Carson says. 
He says this idea of, of pulling down strongholds and bringing everything into thought and captivity of Christ means it destroys the way people think, it demolishes their sinful thought patterns, the mental structures by which they live their lives in rebellion against God. He says the defenders then are taken captive, um, not just to holy thought, but mental structures. Their plans and their schemes are taken over, and they are transformed as they come to a new allegiance in Christ. This is exactly what happened to Paul. In Paul's mind, what he was doing was right. He was fighting for God. His thoughts, his reasoning were, this Jesus is not right, this Jesus is not true, I'm going to fight against this. And as he's on his way to Damascus, he meets with the Lord himself, knocks him on his rear end, and his whole life is transformed. And that's what we're talking about. The battles we see today are something more than just what we see. It's a battle for the hearts and minds of people. We must invite the power of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God into the fray in our own lives and the lives of others. Now, as I close this morning, um, I want you to know that there are really only two visions of the world today. Two worldviews that we're, com- we're, we're battling when it comes to reasonings, thoughts, these arguments against the God of heaven. And the one is um, this idea of, well, I'm going to use a phrase, but um, a, a Lego. You know what Legos are? Everybody know what Legos are? My kids, all my boys, love Legos. Absolutely love them. Matter of fact, when AJ, my oldest, was about 20 years old, there's a nine-year difference between him and our baby, he bought David a gift of Legos to put it together with him. It was just to play with the Legos. He, I don't think his brother even got a chance to touch the things, right? It's Legos. And Legos are really cool. You have a box, you got a picture, you can make whatever it is. But the Lego uh, idea is this. This is what they say. Um, what you believe is your reality. That's what Lego says. Because they say you take the blocks, make whatever. What you believe is your reality. So we have a world now that our vision is a Lego vision. That no matter what I believe, that is reality. And the whole world thinks this is true. But I'm, a, I'm like a Lego man. I'll take this part and this part and I'll build this. And look, it, it's weird, and it's, but this is, this is my reality. And so we have people today who are out of touch with reality. They literally think they can be puppies. And I'm not exaggerating. I saw an article the other day of a 40-year-old man who really believes he's a 6-year-old little girl. He's in the Lego world. He's created his own reality, and his reality is destructive. It's, 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 it's a lie. It, it's a lie. And so we have this, this, this idea in our world today that you just create your own reality. My friend, listen to me. You cannot create your own reality. You can't. You can pretend all you want to. You can't. There is a reality already. We live in it. The God of heaven created it. So there's this Lego idea, and the other idea is this. It's not a Lego idea. It's an idea of a masterpiece. The reality is that God created a masterpiece. And yet the masterpiece is flawed. We have believed lies. We have believed arguments. We We have messed around with our own reality. And so the masterpiece is flawed. But it need not stay that way. 
Because the God of heaven has a design, he has a purpose, he has a plan for every one of us. And yet, even in our sin, and our rebellion, and our Legoland, and making our own realities, he doesn't leave us alone. In love, through Christ, he pursued us and said, listen, come home, come back to my design, come back to my flourishing, come back to relationship with me. So he sent Christ, and he died, and he suffered, so we could be reconciled back. And he's called us, listen, not to steal our fun or our pleasure. That's not what he's called us to. He has called us to life, real life, abundant life. And the more I know of his truth and his way, the more I become the man or the woman that he has designed me to be. And there is joy, and there is happiness, and there's peace. It is life. It's life. And our job today is to start smashing the Legoland ideas not so much with signs or angry voices or a club in our hands, but tackling these ideas and these reasons that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God and speaking truth and love and kindness. And watch the Spirit of God, by the power of God, pull those things down and transform the sinner into a saint. God's called us to life. And we've got to realize we're not battling the flesh. It's a spiritual battle. And we as God's people, we got to repent and say, God, I can do nothing. And when we get there, can I tell you something? We're in a really, really good place. Because our God is ready to break through and show himself strong and bring these strongholds tumbling down at the foot or the feet of Jesus Christ. And so, I want you to know this morning, opposition is a fact. Truth must oppose falsehood, and falsehood opposes truth. This is, this is reality. Everyone can't be right. Do you understand that? Oh, you got your truth, I got my truth. Like Brother John said, just say yes to your wife. That's good, okay? That's, but, but listen, in reality, all truth is not the same. There is opposition. Number two, we must be truth tellers. It is not kind or loving not to tell the truth. As a matter of fact, It's hateful. Number three, our weapons are spiritual. And can I tell you something? Not only are they spiritual, they're mighty by God to the point down in strongholds. And may we this morning leave this place displaying love, just displaying love and destroying lies. Not lives, but lies. And can I tell you something? I think when we start doing this, understanding that we need to invite God into this battle, this spiritual battle, I believe we'll start seeing changes in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. And I pray that this is what you want, because it's, it's what I want. It's what I want. Let's pray this morning.